Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we'll be spending our time this morning looking at just verse 15, but I'm going to give a little bit of context and read from verses 13 through 15. And as I read, remember that this is God's Word for us today. It's His true and living Word. And so if you feel so inclined to give a hearty thanks be to God at the end, I won't fight you. Let's hear God's true word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Ephesians chapter 6. I should have mentioned this earlier. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. As a gift, you can keep it. Uh, you can find them on the table over there. Uh, if you have questions about the Bible, we would love uh, to give you one, we would love to read it alongside you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and a translation that you can read uh, or you're familiar with, again, they are there for the taken. So please do, uh, please do take one. It is the Bible that is our foundation. It is the Bible, God's word that I pray that you would hear this morning. Not anything I have to say, but it is God's word that saves souls and not our comment on God's word that saves souls as Robert Murray McShane once said. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 15, talks about footwear. It's an interesting concept, gospel shoes. So I was thinking a lot about footwear this week. And I was thinking about how often it can be revealed when we have the wrong type of footwear on. So I want you to picture with me a football player, American football, okay? I mean, this could work for the other, maybe real football too, but uh, American football player fully decked out in his equipment, helmet, shoulder pads, the whole kit. But instead of cleats that are designed for protection, for mobility, and for grip, he gets it wrong that day. I don't know what happened. The equipment manager, maybe blame it on him, but he gets it wrong, and he wears those $5 Old Navy flip-flops. You know the ones I'm talking about? That's what he puts on. Or imagine Elliot Kipchoge, the greatest marathoner of all time. There's not a lot of equipment in running, and there's no question that he is the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. But instead of running shoes, imagine he accidentally puts on ski boots. He'd still probably whoop most of us. But footwear matters. And there are more important things in the world than footwear selection. But I think we can agree that the right choice of footwear can make a big difference. A big difference. Now maybe if something comes to your mind, maybe it's a funny story, maybe it's a traumatic story where you had the wrong piece of footwear on. And so maybe this wrong choice of footwear made itself evident to you. 
pretty quickly in those categories, mobility, stability, protection. Ephesians 6.15 for us is sort of the forgotten piece of armor. I wonder how many of you would be like me, that if you had to just list the pieces of armor, you would remember things like, you know, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, even the belt of truth, which again, we talked about, it's not the most glamorous thing, but it comes first, so it's easy to remember. But how many of us remember gospel shoes? Or maybe you do, but for some reason, I think it's the neglected piece of armor, the one that we don't often think about. But we can agree that footwear matters. And so this is an important verse for us, not because our actual footwear matters, but the stakes are much higher when we think of our metaphorical, spiritual armor, our footwear that we need for this battle that we find ourselves in. And we get clues to the significance of this piece of armor when we look at the words contained within just this one little verse. Verse 15 of chapter 6 says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Some important themes there. I think we can agree. But I'd say that's one that we can easily skate over and we don't always give as much time or attention as it needs. You may already be thinking of other parallel verses in the Bible that use similar language, things about the gospel, things about peace, things about feet or footwear. But there's only one verse in the Bible that contains all three of these things, shoes or feet, the gospel or good news, and peace. And so if you turn in your Bibles with me, at least for a moment, to Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7. Isaiah 52, Verse 7. Again, we see Paul often quoting or referencing things that we find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, verses 7, gives us some clues on how we are to interpret and apply this gospel footwear that we see in Ephesians chapter 6. So Isaiah 52, verses 7, says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah presents to us this image of a herald, someone who proclaims, publishes, someone who brings good news. In those days, a king could not send an email. He could not make a phone call. And so he had an important message. He would send a herald. He would send a messenger. And throughout the Bible, this is consistent. When we see this foot, shoe, footwear imagery, that it's often a herald bringing good tidings or good news. Additionally, if we, if we plumb even a little bit deeper into this topic of footwear especially in relation to armor, we get clues from maybe what Paul's getting at when we look at Roman armor and the purpose of it. Roman soldier footwear served multiple purposes. It was studded. It had studs in it. Some uh, artifacts that people have found uh, have the, the, the toe 
of the boot that they would wear, the shoe, was hollowed out so that by leaning forward, they could dig in and hold their ground. So they were studded, but they were also lightweight. They were designed for mobility, both stability and mobility. Stability to enable one to stand their ground and mobility to enable one to travel and cover ground easily. And so thinking of this stability-mobility idea, I want to consider this dual-purpose footwear idea as we come back to Ephesians chapter 6. As we think about our spiritual footwear and the choices that we make, we need to think about having both stability and mobility. Stability in the gospel and mobility with the gospel. And I want to do this through this biblical idea of a herald, a messenger of the gospel of peace. Scholar and author Ian Duguid describes the herald's primary duty very simply. And I want you to hear this. This is, if you said, what's a herald? What is the, what's the job description of a herald? This is it. Get the message right and get the message out. Get the message right and get the message out. And so that will be our big idea for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 15 this morning. Get the message right and get the message out. That's what it means to put on our gospel shoes. For us, it is a lesson in gospel proclamation. Get the message right and get the message out. Now for every single person in this room, making lots of eye contact here, every single person in this room, this matters a lot. This matters a lot. We must get this message right. This gospel, this good news of peace is not optional. It is not one way. It is the way. So we must hear this. This is true for every single person here. We must hear this. We must get the message right, both for the sake of our own souls and for our hearers if we share this message. And Christian, you too, you must get this message out. How could we not? If this good news of peace is true, and as significant as we say it is, we must be willing to get out this message of hope. If we don't, it shows that we either don't have the gospel right, or we don't love people enough to share this saving message with them. We want the benefits of the gospel. We want to celebrate that we are recipients of the gospel. But we are like a toddler that's white-knuckling that toy. We won't share what we have with others. And so as we consider this, I want to look through this idea of being a herald at three levels. A herald's message, a herald's mission, and a herald's metrics. A herald's message, mission, and metrics. Message. This is the part of the idea, the big idea, that is getting the message right, getting the gospel right. A herald's mission. This is the part of the big idea that is getting the gospel or getting the message out. And a herald's metrics. I want to conclude this morning briefly with our metrics as a herald. What does it mean to get this right? How do we measure success? Maybe you are already feeling the weight of this calling that we have as Christians. I think it's important that we remember our role that we make sure we're measuring success with the right metrics, the right measuring stick. So first, a herald's message. Before 
a herald can get the message out, they better get the message right. And so what is this message? What is this message that we are to herald, that we are to proclaim? What is this message of uh, the, these gospel shoes that we put on? We don't have to guess. Ephesians 6.15 is pretty clear. As shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The message is the gospel. Good news of peace. Both these words, gospel and peace, are not new to us if you've been with us for any length of time. Especially as we've looked through this book of Ephesians. We've come into, bumped into these words multiple times. Certainly not a holistic survey of the letter, but just a few examples. Right away, Paul introduces this idea in verse 2 of his letter. In Ephesians 1, verses 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, well, grace is the gospel. The good news that, that God has shown grace to us and peace. If we flip a few pages back over to the very end of the letter, it's bookended by the same idea. The last two verses of the letter says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace and peace. The gospel of peace. In chapter 1 again, in verses 13... It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When Paul talks about the gospel, he says it's the gospel, the good news of your salvation. He describes this, this word of truth that they've received from Christ as the good news of their salvation. The good news is saving. So that gives us another clue in our little journey to figure out what is this gospel of peace. Next chapter over, Ephesians 2, 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He, Jesus, is our peace. You may remember, if you were with us, as we went through uh, chapter 2 and this whole idea of being one in Christ, that the, the barriers, the walls have been broken down between Jew and Gentile, between all people. And the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's made peace vertically possible between us and God and peace horizontally possible for us and one another. And just a few verses later, it says in verse 17 of chapter 2, And he came, Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. This is the message of Jesus himself. And we see that this message getting to the Gentiles, what Paul's referencing here in chapter 2, is Jesus' message through his followers, through his people. But this is his message. Jesus himself is peace. And this is a message that we've seen is for all people. This offer of peace, of good news, of salvation that we saw in chapter 1 is for all. Not determined by race, not determined by status, not determined by wealth. This is an offer of grace and peace with God for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And as Josiah read for us earlier in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 is dense with this message of this gospel of peace. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified 
by faith. Hear that again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is the good news, the gospel of peace. And a few verses later, Paul continues to write in Romans 5, starting at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. This is this good news, this gospel of peace. This is it. This is what we must get right. Why? Well, because each of us on our own are not reconciled to God. In Paul's words, we are not at peace. Because of our sin against a holy God, we have made ourselves enemies. That's strong language. We've rebelled against God, each of us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Peace with God, broken, shattered by our sin. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin, the price, the, the punishment, the penalty for sin, for our rebellion against God is death. Now you may be here and you may not like the sounds of that. You might even be tempted to soft pedal sin. The Bible doesn't soft-pedal sin. God doesn't soft-pedal sin. But it's when we examine the depth of our sin and rebellion, it's that that makes the gospel even better news. It is what makes the gospel beyond comprehension. It is beyond great news. Because Romans 6.23 does not only say the wages of sin is death. That's how it starts. But the second half of the verse says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord I'll say that again for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord that's the most glorious contrast we could ever know that is the good news of the gospel that is this gospel of peace that the wages of sin is death. And so that is precisely why God sent his own son into the world. He loved us enough to send Jesus into the world to live a sinless life. Something that you and I could never do. We fail at every day. And yet, he sent Jesus to die. Paying the price that we deserve for our sin. And yet to rise defeating death itself and demonstrating that God's wrath against, his just wrath against sin had been satisfied. 
Because of this, he offers this free gift of eternal life to all of us who would turn from our sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees us in our depravity and our sin. He looks at us and sees Christ in his righteousness. This is why this message matters to every soul in this room. What is the biggest problem that you face? Think about it. How would you answer that question? What is the biggest problem you face in the world? Is it your looming mortgage payments? Is it loneliness? Is it Trudeau? No, the greatest problem each of us face is the sin that separates us from God. And we make a tragic mistake if we ever make something else the biggest problem that we face. Our finances, our circumstances, anything someone could do to us cannot and will not separate us from the love of God. But our sin does. Our sin separates us from a holy God. It breaks peace with God. And that's why it is the biggest problem in the world. But the gospel of peace is that God, through Christ, has made peace possible. There is no better news in the world. We must get this news right. And I don't know how else to say it, to hit the home run home. But think about that. The, the, the tension that exists, we can see that so exemplified. We don't want to make an illustration of war, but you think of the tension that exists between Ukraine and Russia right now. You think, how could peace be possible? Well, that is the wall that we've put up, the, the enemies that we've made ourselves against a holy God when we sin, when we rebel against him. Yet, freely, he makes peace possible. That is the most radical message that is so counter to our human nature and human understanding. And I, I want you to hear how crazy this news is. It's the best news in the world because it's freely given, a freely given solution to the biggest problem in the world. And what I'm saying here is that it, it cannot simply be theory. We cannot just Get the gospel by intellectual assent. I heard a story this week of early shipwrecked divers. Their task was to find, search, and explore ships that had sunk to nearly unsearchable depths at the time. Over 200 feet. And there was one ship that had eluded exploration, the Andrea Doria. For decades, this ship went unfound and unsearched. At some point, they found it. They knew where, exactly where it was. But they couldn't search it. Many had tried, but many had failed. It was too deep. Through the, the size of the ship, it was between 180 and 200 feet below the surface. It was too dark. There was poor visibility. And it was too disorienting. The ship was on its side. It was in a precarious position. Too dark, too disorienting, and too deep. And so many had tried and failed for decades. They were dedicated, though. They weren't just like, ah, oh, let's go check out that boat. You know, they were into it. They were all in. They were studying blueprints of the ship to prepare for the depth, for the darkness, and the disorientation. 
But they learned that this theoretical study was not enough. It was still too deep, too dark, too disorienting. But there was one man who would eventually do it, Bill Nagel. How? Well, he didn't do it by neglecting the theory. He studied the blueprints. But he studied the blueprints in a way that was different from all the others who had gone before him. He learned these blueprints in a way that was beyond theory. He began to see them in his mind. Not just memorization. He saw them in his mind. To the point where it wasn't simply a top-down blueprint that he saw in his mind. He could see the ship. He could put himself inside to the point where the disorientation didn't matter because he could turn that image sideways in his mind and he could navigate through this sideways and broken uh, ship in the dark 200 feet below the surface. Had it remained theory, he would have been like the rest. But for Nagel, it was more than theory. And the author of a book on Nagel's adventure said this, most would and most had given up. But... A man is not so inclined to give up when he sees in panoramas. Say that again. But a man is not so inclined to give up when he sees in panoramas. That's a good story. But I share it to illustrate well the importance of a herald's message. We need to know and grasp the gospel for our own souls and for the sake of those that we share this news with. But it must be more than theory. Christian, is the gospel of peace to you simply a fact? Do you only see gospel blueprint? Or have you been captured by the panoramic beauty of the gospel? Pray that God would give you a grander vision for the gospel, what it means for you and what it means for humanity. And it's essential that we don't move too quickly beyond this. Before a herald can get this message out, they must get this message right. And what I'm talking about here is not next-level Christianity. Don't hear me wrong. This is not an excuse to not share the good news because you don't feel like you've quite grasped it all yourself. Ordinary Christianity is simply extraordinary. You are a miracle. Your dead soul has been revived with the defibrillator of the gospel. This is the panoramic beauty of the gospel. This is our assurance. As finite humans, we will never fully grasp all that the gospel means. But you can't be a Christian and be ignorant of this good news. It's the good news that is our salvation. This is something, though, that can, should be, and will be a lifelong journey for you as a Christian. For Bill Nagel, he couldn't leave it knowing that the ship was there, but it was uh, left unexplored. He needed to find, search, and explore every nook and cranny. This is what it means to be a disciple. That we don't leave the gospel on the shelf as something that we know where to find if we need it. The gospel is those studded boots that we sink our feet into the ground to be able to stand firm. And so how do we grow in this? How do we grow in this? Well, there's so many ways. But we need to spend time in God's word. We need to get to know God, to see his work through redemptive history, how he's been at work throughout history. See how he 
had made a plan, made promises to rescue his people and how those promises were fulfilled in Christ. See how your view of God expands and grows that panoramic view of the good news. Another way we can do this is things like the Lord's Supper. We gaze on Christ. We behold the panoramic beauty of peace with God that was bought for us by the body and blood of our Lord. Christian, this news is good. And so we must get this message right, and we must get this message out. That's a herald's message, now a herald's mission. In one sense, this is common sense for a few reasons. One, the content, and two, the commission. The content and the commission. First, the content. If this gospel of peace is true, we must share it. It would be crazy not to share the fact that there is a solution to the biggest problem in the world. The herald's job and privilege is to proclaim, as Isaiah wrote from the mountaintop, that the war is over. I've shared the story before of Hiru Unoda, a Japanese soldier who in World War II was either never told or never believed that the war was over. And so for 29 years after the war had ended, he continued to fight a war that was done. The rest of his fellow soldiers had eventually died uh, where he was stationed, this island in the Philippines. And Hiru spent nearly 30 years fighting alone against Filipino soldiers and locals on this island. 30 years fighting a war that was over. It's a crazy story. So many questions come into my mind. But when we refuse to do the central task or mission of a herald in sharing the good news that the war is over, that there is good news of peace, we abandon our friends in the jungle in a war that they could never win. In fact, it's a war that it's already been won. If they would just stop fighting it and accept it. The glorious content of our message is the motivation for our mission. Say that again. The glorious content of our message is the motivation for our mission. The second reason, that was the content. The second reason, the commission. Jesus told us to. It's, it's not, we don't have to go much further than that. God's plan is that through spirit-empowered Christians, the church would grow out of faithful gospel proclamation. We see that in well-known passage, like the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. Teach them. Proclaim these truths. This is our calling, our commission, our mission. If you are a Christian, that is your call, to be a herald of the good news. Luke's account in the book of Acts says this in Acts 1, verses 8. But you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
What does a witness do? Well, a witness shares what they've seen, what they know. This is the central task of a missionary, to go on mission, to proclaim these truths that we see and that we know. A missionary, a herald of the gospel, is not a salesman. It's not a pyramid scheme. We don't get caught at some point doing the Michael Scott pyramid scheme. You know what I'm talking about? A herald is more like a tour guide. A herald of the gospel says, come with me. Let me show you the beauty of the gospel. A herald is captured by the message. And that's what fuels the mission. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, you have received an inexpressible gift and an explicit commission from our Savior to make it known with a promise that he'll be with you always. What could stop you? Maybe it's fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of consequences. Maybe I'll lose my job. Fear of embarrassment. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe other things in our lives seem more urgent. Maybe you don't know many or any non-Christian. But do we fear rejection enough to refuse to give a life raft to a drowning friend? Are we too busy to give food to a starving family member? Are we too proud to get to know those who need this good news? We need to pray for God's help in this. Jesus promises that he'll be with us always. His very spirit dwells within us. Look at Jesus' own example. He was rejected and humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. Nobody had a to-do list like Jesus. Yet we all live more frantic and frenzied lives than he ever did. He spent time with those who needed his message. Like a doctor, he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. That's the Savior we follow. As Gunnar Gunderson writes, we don't follow a Savior who carried a pillow, but a cross. Now, friend, I know you're not Jesus. I know this. But you are his commissioned herald with a message of hope for a needy world. This is your mission. And so how do we do this? How do we put on this readiness given by the gospel of peace? How do we strap on our gospel shoes? Well, one, we talk about the gospel. Talk about the panoramic beauty of what it means to know peace with God. If that's true, we must share that with people. Ask a friend to read the Bible with you. What if they say no? Well, what if they say yes? Invite them to church. Let the gospel do the work that only God can do. Be on mission. Do the work of a herald. Ask questions. Listen. Love. And share the hope that we have. If you get the message right, you will and must get this message out. And if you never do or never desire to, do you really get this message? This feels heavy for me. And so I want to conclude with a herald's metrics. A herald's metrics. How do we measure how we're doing in this? This is what I mean by metrics. It's what, what's our measuring stick? How do we measure how we're doing? I won't belabor this. 
I think it's clear. Our key metric when we think about whether we have or not, have not put on our gospel shoes is one word, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Mark Dever writes a great book called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. It's a short book. I would commend it to all of you. In the very last lines of the book, he says this, We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We fail only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. Let's say that again. We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We fail only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. We must remember that we have a role to play in making the gospel known, but it is God who is the only one who can save souls. God makes peace. Our job, proclaim that the war is over. Point to the one who makes peace. When Hiru Unoda in the jungle was fighting this war alone for 30 years eventually someone got through to him they said hero the war is over man and he refused to believe he said i'm not listening to you until my commander who gave him the orders to guard that island would come and talk to him this is our, that's a good example i think of our role in evangelism versus god's role in evangelism we're the one who says hey listen up the war is over but it's only the commander, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, who can open and revive a dead heart. That's encouraging to me. Now, your friend may stay in the jungle fighting a war that's already done, but as a herald of the gospel of peace, we must tell them that they can have peace, peace with God. Remember, it's God's armor that we wear. This is not our individual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. God's armor. Jesus is the message and the messenger himself when he came and did what we could never do to redeem humanity. We must get this message right and we must get this message out. And we need to just trust God. It is this trust that can give us the boldness to go and the security to rest. We can rest in the fact that no one will be eternally lost because of our failing. No one will be eternally lost because of our failings. God doesn't give us that kind of power, but he does give us a responsibility to get this message right and get this message out. It's this message of hope that gives us the metaphorical footwear that we need. We need stability. We need to be grounded in the gospel. We need to dig our feet in to something that's more than theory. And we need mobility. We need to be ready to go with the gospel. One author writes, in light of the spiritual warfare context of this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, The devil fears and hates the gospel because it's God's power to rescue people from his tyranny, both us who have received it and those with whom we share it. So we need to keep our gospel boots strapped on. You may be thinking this morning of that person who feels 200 feet below the surface. They're in unsearchable depths. You may think that they're beyond saving. Maybe you've been trying and praying for decades. Maybe you're tempted to give up. But remember, a person is not so inclined to give up when they see in panoramas. Gaze on the panoramic beauty of Christ. Gaze on the panoramic 
beauty and implications of your life of the gospel. This is the readiness that's given by the gospel of peace we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. That readiness to go and that readiness to stand is the gospel. We need to be grounded in it. Paul, who also wrote a letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 10, uh, quotes actually from that passage that we saw in Isaiah 52, what we read at the beginning, and reminds us that we must share this news. This news must be heard. The gospel is saving, but people need to hear this news, and we should feel the weight of this. Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Christian, get the message right and get the message out. Put on your gospel shoes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news, the great news of the gospel. The fact that you have done what we could never do, that you have built the bridge that we could never fathom, that you have made a way through the gift of your son to make peace with us. God, I pray for anyone here who does not know that peace, who's fighting a war that's already been won, would you open their hearts, soften their hearts to hear and respond to this message, this message of hope, this offer of grace, this free gift of eternal life that you hold out to us. God, we thank you for the fact that you've included us in this mission, but Lord, we feel the weight, and so we ask for your help that we would be empowered by your spirit to go boldly, to share this hope that we have, that we would feel the conviction as we consider the content of this message and that we would be obedient to this commission that we so clearly see for each and every one of us who know you. God, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.